us tonight. Let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I remember memorizing this particular passage. I don't know that I could recount it all from memory now, but I remember memorizing this passage as a young person, and many of us refer to, if not all, at least portions of the Scripture from time to time. So let's look into the Word of God tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. I want you to notice verse 13. And now we see, or excuse me, verse 13, and now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. I want you to read that with me. And now abideth, come on, read with me. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Praise God. I believe that the Lord has laid something upon my heart for this particular service tonight. And it's good to be back here in church, and I appreciate our revival and uh, everything that the Lord has done through this revival. I also want to thank and commend you for your sacrifice and giving, and uh, I appreciate it very much, all of you that gave faithfully to this revival and sustained this revival. Revivals are expensive, but as I've said before, it's far more expensive not to have revival than it is to have revival. So... I appreciated your sacrifice, and I wanted to let you know that. Amen. I'm going to endeavor to preach a little bit. I had a had a uh, 
friend of mine, his son, this past Sunday was praying for the Holy Ghost. His name's Harrison. Well, it's Brother Shannon Stanley's son. He said he was praying for the Holy Ghost. And he said he's had his hands stretched up. He's about four years old. He's just a little fella. Had his hands stretched up there just about as high as he could lift them up. And he'd been praying for some time. And it seemed like he was very earnest in his prayer. His mama was praying with him. And finally, he just opened his eyes, looked at his mama. He said, Mama, you know, I believe I could pray a little longer if you'd hold my hands up. Well, we all need a little holding up sometimes, don't we? Amen. I'm going to try to preach tonight if you'll help me a little bit. Praise God. Maybe I won't preach too long. Praise God. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I really just want to speak to you out of this entire passage, and I can in no wise um, exhaust this entire passage. Matter of fact, as even as I was reading it and studying it today, I, I feel like that there could be a series of, of messages that we could preach from this particular word from the Lord. It's a very powerful writing. So I don't really have a particular subject or subject title to give you tonight, and I don't particularly want one because it may confine me in what I have to preach to you tonight from the Word of God. I have a fascination with one of these verses that I've read to you, and that is verse 13. It said, Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. I'm fascinated with that word abideth and if there is one word that I want us to focus on and maybe sink our teeth into here tonight it would be that word abideth can you say it with me abideth abideth it literally means stays now stays faith hope charity these three and the greatest of these is charity. Most of you know that the word charity there is the same word that we use for the word love. So now abideth faith, hope, and love. This is what stays. As you live life, and I'm sure the majority of you are mature enough to know that not everything stays. The longer you live, the more you discover that there's a lot of things that don't stay, that don't remain the same that fade away, that die out, that go on, or that we lose in life. Over a period of time, all of us lose our youth. That's just part of living. I guess it's better than the alternative, and that would be dying. But all of us are not going to look like we're 21 forever. Oh, come on now. I know a lot are striving to, and a lot are trying to, and I know a lot of medication and cosmetics and all other kinds of things are used, even surgery to try to keep that fountain of youth, or find rather that fountain of youth, so that we can stay younger, but youth is one of those things that don't stay. There's a lot of things that don't stay the same. Styles don't stay the same. Uh, things that are, that are built in this earth have a way of, of uh, deteriorating, they have a way of rusting. And uh, after a while, they have a, a way of fading away and uh, just uh, totally, uh, however new or fresh it was to you, 
after a period of time, it'll lose its luster. It'll lose its shine. It'll grow dull to you. I know I have bought new vehicles and thought, man, this thing right here, I'm going to keep this joker for 10 years. Amen. I'm tired of making payments. Bless God, I'm going to keep this thing. When that thing starts falling apart, there's one thing I'm not, and that's a mechanic. I've had a lot of cars that tried to make me a mechanic, but I'm certainly not a mechanic. And I don't figure at this age I'm going to learn how to be one. Amen. God bless Brother Lipscomb. I just don't have the patience for all of that. But anyhow, uh, no matter how new it is, it doesn't stay. It doesn't remain the same. It wears out. It doesn't last. And there's a lot of things in life that, that don't last. If you build on things that are always shifting and always moving and don't last, then you won't last. So you have to build your life on things that will endure, that are not seasonal situations that come and go. The Bible says very clearly and gives us the fact that when all things pass away, if there's something that we need to hold on to, if there's something that we need to fight for, if there's something that we need to protect, if there's something that after it's all said and done, needs to remain in our life according to the Scripture and our understanding of the Word of God. It is our faith, our hope, and our love. He said these things abide. These things need to remain. These things need to stay. A lot of things may shift. Relationships may change. Friendships may change. Life, amen, careers, jobs, and all these things. They may change, but you understand there's three things you need to hold on to. There's three things that you always need to be equipped with, and that's faith, hope, and love. So understanding that, these things have to be protected at all costs. Because if there's anything the enemy wants to kill, steal, or destroy, and how many knows that's what the Bible says he set out to do, he cometh forth to kill, steal, and destroy, it would be your faith, it would be your hope, and it would be your charity. I am convinced that Satan has no need for my car. Amen. Now, he, he may work on my car or work on circumstances of life or things that happen in life uh, that may even happen with my automobile if it broke down or I got a flat tire. He may use that circumstance to get to something else, but he has no need for my car. He has no need for my home. He has no need for my clothing. He doesn't really need my help. He doesn't need uh, my finances per se or anything else materially that I may possess, that I may feel through a trial or a circumstance or a valley that I'm walking through is being threatened. Those are only avenues that he takes to access something that he could benefit from. Those are only things that he uses, circumstances in life that may involve those things. He's not after those things themselves. He's after something greater than that. And the devil, uh, he rarely, rarely ever reveals at first what he is after. I preached a message here not long ago about uh, the temptation of Christ in the wilderness after the 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and the devil comes to him. First of all, he, he offers him 
uh, he said, why don't you, if you're who you say you are, turn this stone into bread. Now, there was nothing wrong with Jesus turning a stone into bread. Amen? And it really would not have damaged, uh, uh, I suppose, the ultimate will of God. It would not have damaged the Scripture, done any harm to the Word of God uh, if He had done so. Matter of fact, I might even be preaching about it tonight, that He turned stones to bread. And if He can do that, He can change anything. But that was not what He was after, was to get Him to fall for doing that. That was not really what He was after. He, he said, why don't you cast yourself down? If you're who you say you are, then you, you could... You could call angels to, to rescue you. And if Jesus had chosen to do that, I suppose that there would have been no harm done again to the ultimate will of God or to the Scripture, the Word of God. And we could even preach about that, that, that He has angels. And we know that He does at His authority. And He can dispatch them at any time. And we know that He does do that. It wouldn't have done any harm to the ultimate will of God. But then, third thing that he comes to him with, he reveals what he's really after. He said, why don't you, why don't you worship me? Amen. And then Jesus said that it's already written, devil, that the Lord God is the only one that deserves worship, and him only shall we serve. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm preaching to you that what the devil was after there was, and he's still after it, and he revealed it was worship. Praise God. And so he never comes maybe in the first temptation and reveals exactly what it is that he's after. And a lot of times we think when we're attacked in life and there are certain circumstances that are going awry in our life that that is what he's pinpointing or that is what the enemy is focusing upon. But that's not necessarily true. If there's anything that he really wants to assassinate in your life, it is your faith. That's what he's really after. Your hope and your love. Jesus, when he confronted Peter in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Notice he said, Simon, Simon. He didn't say Peter, Peter. He said, Simon, Simon. Uh, he, he's taking him back to that fleshly nature. He said, if you fail in these areas, and if you come up short in these areas, it would be because you, uh, you in some way fell back to your fleshly nature. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that your faith, fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I had read that scripture for, for many years, but didn't really have a clue as to what it meant because uh, I felt like for the enemy to be after my faith, I thought uh, that maybe because I was under attack in some way that he was simply after my stuff or after things that God had given to me. Maybe he was after my family. Maybe he was after my finances. Maybe he was after my blessing, my things. But the enemy is after something far deeper than that. Jesus didn't pray that Peter would not fail. He already 
knew that he was going to deny him. He already knew that he had a hot temper. He already knew what lie, the potential that lie within Peter to fail him and to fall and to, uh, to come up short. He already knew what he was going to do, but Jesus said, I pray that your faith, you may fail, you may make a mistake, you may stumble, Simon, but I am praying that even though you may fail and you may make mistakes, that your faith doesn't ultimately fail you. Because if your faith fails you, you won't have anything to bring conversion in your life. Your faith is what you have to fight with. Not your temper, not your anger, not all of your wit, not, not, not your tenacity, not your self-will, not your ability to do any one thing in life, not your power, not your gifts, not your talents, but your faith is what will help you ultimately to overcome. Your strength is always invisible. Your real strength in living for God is really invisible and not visible. Amen. If you want a good picture of the church, just look at the life of Samson. Samson's strength was not visible. Otherwise, they would have never had to ask him, where does your strength lie? If he had been a Herculean man, if he had been a Hulk, if he had been a bodybuilder looking guy, Delilah would have never had to press him, the Bible says, daily to find out the source of his strength. But the Bible tells us that she did it daily because it was not an obvious thing for her to be able to see. Amen. He looked in all likelihood like any other man. He looked average. He, he, he didn't have a big build. Otherwise, they would have known where his strength come from. But yet, he was able to do supernatural things. And so it caused them to scratch their head and wonder, where does his strength lie? You know, that represents a Holy Ghost-filled person. You look like an average person, but you're able to do things, overcome things, go through things, endure things. Because of the power of Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen. It's not in me. You, you take Christ out of my life. You take the Holy Ghost out of my life. I'm like Samson was. I'm just like any other man. But it's because of the anointing. It's because of the Holy Ghost. Greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. How do I overcome? How do I endure? You know, there's people in this world, they don't know how that you, you don't get all stressed out with all the struggles and the challenges of life like they are. They look around, they read their newspaper, they measure the economy, and they say to themselves, you know what, there's more bills than there is money. There's trouble, there's stress, there's war and rumors of war. There's earthquakes in diverse places. There's hurricanes coming in the Gulf. There's all of these things. You ought to be stressed out like we are. And we walk into work with a smile on our face and a spring in our step. You know what they're saying? They're saying, how in the world did they do that? Because we look like we're average people, but God knows that we're a peculiar people. Amen. And it's not, it's not anything that I possess in myself or you would know the secret source of my strength. But I'm telling you what I got came from God. I got the Holy Ghost. 
And you know what the Holy Ghost is? The Bible tells me that it's peace and it's joy. I can have peace and contentment in a world of chaos and confusion. Why? Because I got the Holy Ghost. I can have joy and not have to live in sorrow. Why? Because I got the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So the enemy is after your source of strength. He starts by attacking things. When he's after that source, he... He starts by attacking things that you're attached to. He never goes after the things you don't care about. He's not after the things that you have no passion for. He's not after the things that you don't love. He goes after those things that's going to affect your faith. Because things you don't have any passion for is not going to affect your faith, hope, or love. Amen. But it's things you've got hopes connected to, faith connected to. Love connected to. That's, that's what he tries his best to attack, is things that you're attached to in an effort to destroy, first of all, your faith. So he knows if, you, if your faith can be shifted off its foundation and you could ever lose your faith or your faith would ever fail you, eventually you would become hopeless. And then you would become bitter with life then you would lose your love. Isn't it interesting to note that when God designed, and, and I'm, I'm kind of going off track here for just a minute. I want you to stay with me. But when, when God designed the priestly garment, he designed it so ornately. It was a very beautiful thing. It wasn't just a plain garment. It was colorful. It had jewels. It had stones in it. It was very beautiful, and it was ornate, and it was very specific how the design was with the priestly garment. You know, I've noticed you can tell a lot about a person when you visit their home and see how that it is de decorated. You can tell whether they're an opulent person or a plain person, whether they're an extravagant person or a simplistic person. You can tell uh, by their home a little bit about, and the way that they decorate it, a little bit about their personality. Even, and I don't want to take this too far, but even in a person's dress, you can tell a little bit about their personality. See a fellow, he's got a tie on, needs batteries. You know, you know, you know, he's got a little bit of something to him. He's got a little pizzazz. That's what we call it. Amen. Uh, and then, and then you, you see, you see somebody that's uh, got a, uh, you know, they got a, a suit on that. I mean, just makes you take a double take. Uh, you know that, or you see a, uh, you know that they, uh, ladies got a, got a purse and shoes that. Made out of the same material. I, I don't know all the, uh, the stuff, but you know what I'm talking about. It says something about their personality. I have a little problem with folks that say that God is a plain God. It says that God is a boring God. Our God is a simplistic God because when I look at heaven, I don't see that. When I look at his house, I don't see that. I see streets paved with gold. I see walls that are formed out of jasper. I see gates that are carved out of a pearl, one pearl, the Scripture says. Amen. Sounds like God is kind of opulent, doesn't it? He didn't give us cabins in the corner of glory. We used to sing that song, you know, if I could just have a cabin in the corner of glory, I'd be all right, I'd be all right. There's no cabins in heaven. You're not going to have to use a canoe to get up the living, the river of, of living water or whatever it is, the river of life. Amen. 
I'm sorry. It's not the way it's going to be. Praise the Lord. The Bible said there's leaves there that never fade. There's, there's, uh, uh, he, he, he is the lamb, is the light of that city. Praise God. So lights are going to be on all the time. All you like gloom and darkness and like being down all the time, you, you're not going to be at home in heaven. I'm sorry. Because there's going to be light on all the time. Oh, yeah, some of you like darkness right now. You want us to turn the lights off because you're down about something. Praise the Lord. It's going to be light in that city, and he is going to be the light of that city. Our God is a God that is into those kind of things. If I could say it this way, he's not just a plain, boring God, but he's extravagant in some ways. And so when he designed the priest garment, it is very ornate. 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. There were different uh, vestures and they overlapped one another. And they were in their specific places. And he wore them. Uh, everything was, was very specific as how he was to wear them. And then down at the bottom, down at the bottom of that garment was, was bells so that when the priest would walk, uh, you could hear the ringing of those bells, but between each one of those bells was a pomegranate fruit. Amen? So, in between that source of ringing, the bell, which to me represents those things that are maybe more visible and uh, Maybe we could say the gifts of the Spirit, the moving of the Spirit, worship, those things that are more visible, more easily seen, more easily, uh, you're able to sense them and feel them and experience them. Between each one of them was a pomegranate fruit. There was as much fruit then as there was noise is what I'm trying to say. And this is balance. Some folks have covered the bottom of their garment with bells, and they don't have much fruit. They can come to church. They can make a lot of noise. They can shout. They can clap. They can run. They can sing. And I believe in all that stuff because as much as anything, there was bells on the borders of that garment, but there was also fruit there. I'm going to tell you, it does you no good to run, shout, and buck if you don't live for God the rest of the week. Amen. There needs to be as much fruit as there is noise. It's not in how loud you shout and how hard you clap your hands, but it's when your feet hit the ground, is there some fruit being born in your life? Is there some fruit that, that is being produced in your life? very important that that our lives be fruitful so Paul talks about in this text he talks about things like tinkling cymbals and sounding brass he says if you if you're not careful you can get out of balance he said if you're not in balance if you don't have if you don't have this element of love in your life. He said, you're nothing. doesn't matter what you say. doesn't matter how loud the bell's ringing, if I could say it that way, if there's no fruit. How many knows that love is one of the fruit of the Spirit? 
Amen. He talked about giving your body to be burned. What an ultimate sacrifice, giving your body to be burned. Uh, all of us have a natural fear of fire. All of us in this room have a natural fear of being burned. Fire will cause people, uh, you saw, uh, we just celebrated 9-11, you saw those people leaping out of those buildings in those pictures, leaping out of those buildings because of fear. They would rather fall to their death than burn. A fear of fire. He said you could give your body to be burned. He spoke of great sacrifices. He said you, you can make these great sacrifices, but if you lose the proper motives for what you're doing, you're nothing. He talks about being intellectually adapt, he said, so that you can understand all mysteries. Well, oh, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Amen. And you understand all, you have all knowledge. He said, but if you don't have charity, you are nothing. You can give all your goods. You can bestow them on the poor. You can feed them. You can, you can do all of that. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. Amen. So Paul admonishes us that there are three things that should always abide in our lives. Very simple. Faith, hope, and love. He said these things abide. These are not things that are easily seen. I can't see anybody's faith here tonight. I can see the result of people's faith. And I can see the result of some people's lack of faith. But I can't see faith. It's not something that I can get my eyes and focus in on. Faith is not always uh, the one that, that uh, is always the most outward. Faith is not always the one that is the most... Uh, seen in the worship service not always the one that may be up front but it may be that person uh, that elderly person that, that does not physically have the ability to do what they used to do in the worship service but they still have that steady faith that I am going to live for God I'm going to serve God, I'm going to believe God and there's a lot of prayers that I haven't seen answered yet that I'm going to continue to trust God for faith doesn't always show up even in the most uh, seemingly stable and mature saying of God. Sometimes it shows up in a child. The Bible talks about childlike faith. Amen? If there's anything that you need to guard and protect in your life, it's your faith. You know, as life goes on, you will lose some things. You'll lose some friendships. You'll lose some positions and jobs maybe or strength in your body. You're going to lose some things, but don't allow the devil to get his hands on these big three that I'm talking about here tonight. These three secret weapons, if you can keep them, you can always come out on top. You may be broke, but if you can keep these three things, you'll always come back. People may turn on you, but if you can keep these three things, you'll always be able to get back up. You may lose your job and you may find disappointments in life, but if you can keep these three things, you'll always make a comeback. You'll always be able to, to get back on your feet 
and be restored if you can keep these three things that I'm talking about tonight. If you got these three, you can make it through anything. Now abideth. This is what stays when everything else goes. This is what stays when everything else fades away. This is what you got to guard. This is what you got to build a fence around. This is what you got to protect. This is what you got to hold on to. You can't lose your grip on what I'm talking about tonight. This is what you can't let anybody take from you with their remarks, with their rumors, with their critical attitude, with their foul spirit, with their lies. You can't let anybody take these three things away from you. You got to diligently guard them to hold on to them. Any relationship, any position, any career that starts to threaten these three things, it's got to go. I can't, I can't hang on to you because you're threatening my faith. You're threatening my hope. You're threatening my love for God. Amen. I got to hold on to this. I can't let anything separate me from that. I can't let anything strip me of that. And a lot of other things can come and go, but there's one thing that's going to stay. There's some things that's got to abide in my life. That's my faith, my hope, and my love for God. Come on, some of you sitting there looking at me like a bunch of hoot owls tonight. I wonder if anybody knows what I'm preaching about in this room. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Keep your faith. You may lose your home. You may lose your car. They may, they may tell you tomorrow you don't have your job no more. But don't lose your faith because faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. You understand these three are, these three are tightly wove together. Amen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the ingredient. It's the essential element. It's the material that causes you to be able to recover. Not your checkbook. Not your willpower. Not your connections. Come on now. It's your faith. Paul said at the end of a ministry that had been tried like no other, he said, I have kept the faith. Yeah. yeah, they tried to stone me, but I kept the faith. They put me in prison, but I kept the faith. They beat me with rods, but I kept the faith. They accused me falsely, but I kept the faith. They put stripes on my back, but I kept the faith. You got to keep the faith. I said, you got to hold on to that. You can't let go of that. Some things may come and go, but my faith's not going to fail me. My faith's not going to fade away. My faith, I'm not going to let go of it. I'm going to keep holding on to it. I've seen faith keep people in horrific situations. I'm talking about terrible situations. I've seen, I've seen spouses walk out on, on people and leave them in dire straits and and dilemmas that looked like it was it was impossible to get out of. But they, they kept on believing God. They kept on being faithful to God. They keep on hanging on to their faith. And they never lost hope. And they never stopped loving God. And God turned it around for them. I've seen the doctor tell people, uh, 
you know, cancer is, is you're totally ridden with it. You're going to die. It's eating your body, and uh, it doesn't seem like you're going to live throughout the week. And I've seen him get up and walk out of the hospital and live for years because of one thing. They kept faith. They kept hope, and they kept on loving God. They kept on trusting the Lord. I'm going to keep my faith. There's a lot of things I might not be willing to fight over, but one thing I'm willing to fight over is my faith. I'm not going to fight with you, amen, over, over little menial things. I'm, I'm, not, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to engage me, amen, or offend me or get me upset over something that doesn't make any difference. But when it comes to my faith, if you want to box, I'm ready to take a stance. I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to do whatever it takes because I'm going to fight for my faith. You need to get some grit when it comes to your faith. Amen. You, you may not have enough money. You may not have enough strength. You may not have enough knowledge. You may not have enough understanding. But if you've got enough faith, you can come out of whatever it is you're in. You want to do spiritual warfare? Amen. Some people fight. Oh, the devil's after my stuff. The devil's after my home. The devil's after my whatever. The devil's in my checkbook. No, you're in your checkbook. That's the problem. Writing hot checks, trying to have faith that God's going to just put some money in there some way. Woo! Praise God, you've got more faith than I do. Because you're violating a principle in the Word of God. And God doesn't even violate His own principles. Amen? Oh, I believe it. Praise the Lord. Why'd it get all quiet all of a sudden? Well, it's been pretty quiet all night, praise God. Faith, you got to fight for it. If you're going you're gonna to do warfare for anything, come on, don't make it some little superficial something. Fight for something that really matters. Fight for your faith. Keep hold of your hope. Paul said, if I had no hope, or if we had no hope, we would be above all men most miserable. People, give up on life is because they have no hope. You heard, you ever heard of people that fighting sickness or disease or something and they, they were struggling and they were trying and they were endeavoring and they were pushing and they were, they were doing their very best to overcome it and then finally they just said, you know what, I'm just tired. I'm, you know what they're saying? I, I give up hope. And it isn't long after they start making those statements that they pass from this life got to hold on to it. The writer of Hebrews declares in chapter 6 that God has entered into a covenant with us that we might have hope, which is an anchor for the soul. Hope anchors you. It holds you in place. Come on now. It helps you to stay where you need to be when the currents of life assail you. Amen. I've been out fishing with Brother Johnny before. He said, well, we're going to anchor right here because this is where the crappie are. And it's amazing. Those little things and the critters can get in a place as big as the top of a coffee can. And if you don't put your hook right down there, you're not going to catch nothing. Brother Johnny knows how that's all that all works. And uh, we're going to anchor right here because if we're not careful, we'll drift off of this important spot. Amen. 
Hope is something that cannot be seen, but it's embracing God's promises and believing that the future is in his hands. And the writer of Hebrews was very careful to explain that hope is what hope was anchored in. It wasn't just uh, it just wasn't cast out, but it was in a specific spot in, in a in a specific place. Amen. It's not anchored in people. It's not anchored in economy. It's not anchored in emotions. It's not anchored in intellect or ingenuity. It's not anchored, amen, in all of that. It's not anchored in my career. My hope is anchored in God. He said it's an anchor that is within the veil or an anchor, if I could say it this way, that's in a holy place. The reason why some people lose hope is they're anchored to the wrong thing. They got their hope uh, in, in the economy. They got their hope. And, and, and friends, they got their hope in this and they got their hope in that. You know, you know, if you fish, you know that that boat anchor has to hook on to a rock down there somewhere because sand isn't going to hold it there. Gravel is not going to, you can't anchor anything to a sandbar, you can't anchor anything to a gravel bar and down the, in, in, in the, in the bed of that river. You've got to get that thing around something that's solid. You've got to get that thing on a rock somewhere. Praise God. I'm glad that I'm anchored to a rock that is higher than I, and it'll be a shelter for me. If you're not anchoring yourself to something solid, you'll drift into discouragement. You'll drift into confusion. You'll drift. You'll begin to question things you never questioned before. You'll drift into ungodliness if you're not anchored to something solid. hurricanes coming. I'm not talking about a typhoon, but I'm talking about just the normal currents and tides of life, this life's ebb and flow, the, the emotions of the ocean, if I could say it that way, that just the ups and the downs that all of us experience in life, and we all have to live life. We talk about marriages that are made in heaven, but they're all lived out on earth, friends. We all got to flesh it out. We all got to walk this life. We all got to live life. We all have the same uh, things that challenges us. And some of us, we have different challenges than others. But all of us are going to have a challenge. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have disappointments. We're going to have discouragements. Can I tell you that life in itself is against your relationship with God? Let's just take the devil out of it. Just take this old world and the things of this world. Amen. And the constant, the constant pressures and stresses of this old world. It's against. The current is flowing against you. That's why you have to be anchored to something. You must put your soul on a leash and say, I'm only going to go so far. I'm not going to drift. I'm not going to, only so far. I'm not going to get discouraged. Only so far. I'm not going to let that go. I'm not going I'm not going to live in depression. I'm not going that far. You got to put limits on this thing. I'm only going down so far. I'm only going to worry so much. I'm only going to be I'm only going to let myself uh, think about that and dwell on that so much. Because if you don't stop this, you'll drift away. Not intended. Just drift away. Kind of like the two Cajuns that was in a boat on the river and fell asleep and uh, and they thought they had tied on, but they just tied on to a little old reed that was there that really wasn't stable on the side of the bank. And they woke up the next morning. The other one looked at, uh, at the surroundings, and he said, Hey, Boudreaux, he said, We're not here anymore. We're not here no more. 
We're not where we stopped. We're not where we tied up. I'm going to tell you, the, this, the currents of life have you uh, drifting if you're not careful. And, and in the currents of life will take you to places. And you'll look back and say, you know what? I'm not where I used to be with God. I'm not praying like I used to. I'm not worshiping like I used to. I'm not attending church like I used to. I'm not living for God like I used to. I'm not even dressing like I used to. You used to be a little more conscientious about all that stuff. But, you know, as you start drifting, you're not as conscientious about it. If you're not going to say amen, please look amen tonight. Praise God. Amen. You know, I've just made up my mind. My elevator only goes down so far. If you're going to the basement, you're going to have to get off and take the stairs because I'm not going there. Amen. Now go up as far as you want it to go. But, but if you're going down, I'm not riding all the way with you. I said, if you made up your mind you're going to live in the basement, you're going to have to find somebody else to ride the elevator with because I'm not going there. I've done made up my mind. I'm not going to ride it with you. Amen. Praise God. You've got to keep your faith. You've got to keep your hope. And you don't lose your love. Finally, keep your love. This is one of the things of the devil, and this is what really this chapter is all about. This is what he really wants. You know you've heard the adage that love always finds a way. If you keep your love for God, you'll find a way to live for Him. You'll find a way to please Him. If you love Him, then a lot of things that are required by Him, you don't find difficulty doing if you love Him. If you love God, you'll know how to treat your brothers and sisters. You know, it's a real reflection of how much you love God by the way you treat your brothers and sisters in the Lord and people of this world. Oh, amen. You're hateful. You're critical. You're snotty to them. What's snotty? Well, I don't know, but I, I can tell you, I, I, I pick up on it every once in a while. You're difficult. You don't have the love of God. You're fooling yourself. Well, I'm a... Let me try that again. I am a one-God apostolic, tongue-talking, holiness-living. Really? You don't know how to love your brother or sister? You talk and fuss behind their back and backstab them? Is that really? Is that really the love of God? Oh, I'm getting down there where it really hurts. you love God you'll find a way to live for him no matter how difficult it gets God's love for humanity I think is an example to us all he loved us so much he loved humanity he loved his creation so much that even when they stoned his prophets and they slew those that he sent to them he said I'm not going to give up he said, if they won't listen to Isaiah, the silver-tongued prophet, if they won't listen to the tears in the voice of Jeremiah, and if they won't hear the articulation of Ezekiel, then I'll robe myself in flesh, and I'll go down there, and I'll let them crucify me. You know what held him to the cross? It wasn't the nail because there's not enough spikes in the world to hold, to hold him to the cross. It was his love for humanity that held him to the cross.
cross. Amen. God just kept on trying. Quitting can't be an option. I said quitting can't be an option. Paul said in Romans 8, 37, he said, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've got to keep that love. The psalmist said in 119, 135 or 165 he said great peace have they which love my law and nothing shall offend them. You get the love of God in your heart, it's going to be hard to offend you. You're not going to walk around with a chip on your shoulder. You're not going to be muled up about 90% of the time when you come to church. Come on now. You're not going to be a 50-50 deal. We don't know whether we walk on eggshells around you one night and or to, you know, you're going to be happy. Great peace have them that love thy law and nothing shall offend. Paul said, you can give your body to be burned, and if you don't have this element, you're nothing. You can give your goods and bestow them on the poor. If you don't have this, you don't, you're nothing. You can know the Scripture. If you don't have this, you're nothing. Love is stronger than death because death can take a person, but it can never take that love for that person away. Love kept Jesus nailed to that cross, and love is what's going to keep you in the low times. Love keeps you faithful even when you feel like not being so. Keeps you in the right place. It keeps you steady. It keeps you connected. Keeps you in tune to the things of God. Love when you don't feel like worshiping. Love says, I, I still, he's deserving. Amen. If he never blesses me, if he, he doesn't change my circumstances, I still want to praise him. And I still want to worship him. Would you stand with me right now and let's lift our hands to the Lord and let's give praise to God. Come on, let's love Him right now. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Lift up those hands to Him and thank Him. God, you've been better to me than I've been to myself. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I love you so much, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I love him. That's why. That's why. That's why. Job, I'll leave you with this. If Job had given up, theologians say that that trial lasted for nine months. Had Job given up in this comma that God placed, if we could say it that way, in his long life, if he had placed a period where God had placed a comma, he would have never known that double portion blessing that he received. The Bible says that his latter end was greater than his beginning. He would have never known those great blessings had he given up. But Job never lost his faith. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He never lost his faith. He never lost his hope because he said, I know my, I may not feel him, I may not see
convince him. I may not even know where he is, but I know that my Redeemer lives. He never lost his hope. And then he never lost his love because he said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm still going to praise Him. I'm still going to love Him. I'm still going to magnify His name. Oh, we ought to do that right now. Somebody ought to give Him some praise right now. Somebody ought to lift Him up right now. Hallelujah. Praise God. I love Him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May not understand my circumstances, but I still have a love for God. Still going to praise Him and worship Him. You know, I had a little dog uh, growing up. We called him River. Uh, got him down at the creek. And uh, he was half Dolan Pincher, half uh, Labrador Retriever, as best we could tell. And uh, strong dog. Aggressive dog. I mean, i never known him to bite nobody, but he often threatened to. And I kept him on a chain. I hated to keep him on a chain. Didn't have a pen. We'd moved to a new place. Had to keep him on a chain. I could not keep him with a regular dog chain there if he really wanted to get loose. He could break that chain just like that. He was that strong. Just a normal dog chain couldn't hold him back. Now, I'm sure we could have found one. But I, I kind of liked having a dog that was that stout, you know, and just kind of bragging rights. Go and run to the end chain, snap that. But normally he didn't have any problem. But it usually if there was some other animal or something that walked up in the yard, if, if, let me just say it this way, if there was something before him that was more important than what was behind him or what was holding him back, he could break that thing. I'm going to tell you, if we could ever get to the point that what is before us is more important than what's holding us back, Amen. We'd snap and break through anything that was trying to keep us from where we needed to be in God. Come on, it's time to break some chains. It's time to break through some things. You ever notice that a windshield's a whole lot bigger than a rearview mirror in a car? There's a reason for that. You need to be striving, pressing for those things that are ahead of you instead of dwelling on those things which are behind you. I'm going to take this faith, I'm going to take this hope, and I'm going to take this love for God on into the future, and I'm going to live for God like I've never lived for God. I'm going to see things in God like I've never saw in God. I'm going to be more for God than I've ever been for Him. And as a church, we're going to attain more blessings in God than we've ever seen before. Somebody lift up their voice and let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. God bless you tonight. You've been a great audience. Amen. It's fun preaching here. It's a good church. Good people. People that love God. Perfect? No, but good. Yes, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that you've been so patient with me over these last few weeks. Amen. I'm grateful for that. Uh, I know it hadn't been optimum, but anyway, I appreciate you allowing me to go and try to be a blessing elsewhere, and uh, maybe won't do it so much in the future. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.